0: Turning your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 49. And we want to read just one verse, and that's verse 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey. And at night, he shall divide the spoil. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, these words are so critical. They're words that contain the very message of life. And we pray that you would help us to see that message today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we come to Israel's final words, to his final son, his 12th. And last son, Benjamin. His words to Benjamin are among the shortest of the words that he spoke to his sons. But the brevity, the shortness, I guess is the way to say it, the shortness of his message in no way diminishes from the importance. Of that message. Something that is worth noting as we come to Israel's final words to his final son. Is that he speaks what the Lord gives him to say. Without regard to the family relationship. Israel doesn't shave anything off the message from heaven because he's speaking to his sons. I think that's something to consider. A number of years ago, I heard Brother Ron Beatty say something in a message that I had never heard before. And it's something that I have tried not to forget because it's very true. We've all heard and we've probably used the expression many times, blood is thicker than water. That's a way of saying that relationships within the family are stronger than any other kind of relationship. My daddy used that expression as a word of warning to us boys. He told us that when we were somewhere and one family member of another family was criticizing another member of that family, that we needed to be very careful just to listen And say nothing because family can criticize family. But if you, no matter how close you think your friendship is, if you, an outsider, join in that criticism of this family member, then you're going to find out very quickly that blood is thicker than water. In fact, you're going to get poured on, and you're going to get poured out because you have become an offense. So this is a saying that is a reminder of the bonds between family members and how they're more important than those formed with uh, those who are outside the family. But Brother Ron had a different take on this old saying. He talked about believers in whose lives it's not only true that blood is thicker than water, but in their lives, blood is thicker than the book. Blood is thicker than the Word of God. He was talking about Christians whose relationship with their family is more important than their relationship and their obedience to the Word of God. He was talking about Christians who profess to believe this book Christians who are willing to apply this book to the people and the situations around them, how they'll do it without fail until it comes to their family, until it comes to their wife or their husband or their children or grandchildren, and then they're willing to fight. Not their family, but this book. Now, it's very easy for us to make a very quick mental list of all the brethren that we know who are overtaken by this fault and who need to be restored. But we better be careful about putting ourselves on a pedestal. We need to consider ourselves because we have the same nature is our brothers and sisters around us, we have this same nature that is so subject to this same temptation. One of the emblems or signs of spirituality in the life of the child of God is taking God's side and taking his word's side against ourselves and then taking God's side and his word's side against our family, against our wife, against our husband, against our children and grandchildren. One of the signs, one of the emblems of spirituality in the life of the child of God is when this book is thicker than blood, when the bonds between ourselves and the Lord Jesus Christ are more important than any human bond. Look over for just a minute at 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. You remember that at the start of the book of Samuel, he is presented to the Lord by his mother Hannah. And he's put in the charge of Eli the priest. Eli had two sons who were priests of the Lord. We see that in chapter 1 and verse 3. Hophni and Phinehas. And if you look at chapter 2 and verse 1, or chapter 2 and verse 12 rather, We read this. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. The sons of Eli were in the office of priest of the Lord. But they were sons of Belial. Outwardly, Hophni and Phinehas were acting as as priests of the Lord. But they didn't know the Lord. And we see in this verses that they're... Uh, not knowing the Lord became very obvious. We see that to satisfy their own selfishness and greed, they altered the rules of the offering of the Lord. And by the threat of force, they took the best cuts of meat from the offerings. They took all of the offering that they could get instead of taking the portion that God said they were to have, that they were to have after the offering had been made to him. And because of the actions of these two men, because of their testimony, these sons of Belial who were masquerading as priests of the Lord, we're told in in verse 17 that the men of Israel abhorred the offering of the Lord. They hated to go and, and give the offering to the Lord because of what Hophni and Phineas were going to do. In verse 22, we, say, we see that these two sons of Eli lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Eli rebukes his sons in verse 23, and what he says is right and true. Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? What he says there is very good. But it had no effect on his sons. They continue in their rebellion. Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father. Because the Lord would slay them. Eli should have brought them, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, these stubborn and rebellious sons. He should have brought them and he should have said, these my sons are stubborn and rebellious. They will not obey my voice. And he should have gathered the men of the city together and stoned them with stones. God said that's how you put away evil from among you. Eli wouldn't do that. And there's a reason that he wouldn't do it. Look at verse 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense? To wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, notice these words, and honorest thy sons above me. Blood was thicker than the book in Eli's life. And he lost his sons. And God judged Eli and his house after him because of it. It's a very serious thing to allow blood to be thicker in our lives than our obedience to the word of God. How is it today with us? How is it? Is blood thicker than this book? Or is this book thicker than blood? The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 49. Because all through this chapter, we see that blood was not thicker than the book. In Israel's life. We've seen that God told Israel to tell Reuben that he was unstable as water. To tell him that he would not excel. And God told Israel to tell Reuben why. It's because of your sin. It's because of the lust of your flesh. It's because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it by laying with Billah, his concubine. And Israel told Reuben that. God told Israel to tell Simeon and Levi that instruments of cruelty were in their habitation. To tell them that they were cruel and self-willed and that he did not want to be identified with them. It's not a very flattering thing to tell your sons that you don't want to be identified with them. But that's what God told Israel to tell his sons, and he told them. God told Israel to tell Issachar that he was a strong ass. To tell Dan that he was a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that causeth the horse rider to fall backward. And he told them. Blood was not thicker than the book in Israel's life. We see that again as we come to Jacob's words to Benjamin. Benjamin was the last son that was born to Jacob. He was the second son that Rachel, the girl that he loved, the girl that he served seven years for, the second son that she bare to Jacob. She died in giving birth to this last son, Benjamin. Benjamin occupied a very special place in Jacob's heart, especially after Joseph was gone. Look back a few pages to uh, Genesis chapter 44 and notice how Judah describes the relationship between Jacob and Benjamin. He's talking to Joseph, doesn't know that he's talking to Joseph, but he says in verse 20, and we said unto my lord, we have a father, an old man. We actually, he's talking to um, his father, Israel, Jacob. We said unto my lord, we have a father, an old man, and child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother. And his father loveth him. They're telling Jacob what they told the man over uh, the, the land of Egypt, verse twenty-two. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Verse 27. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And Jacob says, To them, if ye take this also from me and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. And then Judah sums up this relationship between Jacob and Benjamin at the end of verse 30, where he says, seeing that his life, the life of Jacob, is bound up in the lad's Benjamin occupied a special place in Jacob's heart. And so, naturally speaking, we would expect there to be great words of blessing to pour forth from Israel's heart for Benjamin. But because this book is thicker than blood in Israel's life, and no matter what his natural tendency, his natural inclination might be he can only speak the words that the Lord tells him and so Israel speaks just 22 words in verse 27 let's go back to um, Genesis 49 Benjamin shall raven as a wolf in the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. The first of these 22 words that we want to notice is the word raven. Raven. It means to tear. It means to to rend and to tear in pieces. And so to describe Benjamin as one who will raven, as one who will tear and rend as a wolf, is to tell us that Benjamin will be a fierce person. He's going to be a fierce and a warlike person tribe a tribe of warriors and we see that here in the Old Testament we see it in the book of Judges in Judges chapter 3 we read about a man named Ehud from the tribe of Benjamin he was the second judge of Israel. Ehud was the man who went in and who slew Eglon the king of Moab who the Bible describes as a very fat man And he slew him with a two-edged sword, a dagger that he had made. And after Ehud slew the king of Moab, he blew the trumpet and the the, the people of Israel were gathered to him and they slew of Moab 10,000 men. And the Bible tells us that Moab was subdued and the land had rest for 80 years. In Ehud, we see a characteristic that made the tribe of Benjamin such a fierce tribe, such a warlike tribe. In Judges three and verse fifteen, we read, "But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed." It's the first time that we find any mention of being left-handed in the Bible, and it's associated with this man Ehud from the tribe of Benjamin. In Judges chapter 20, there's civil war in Israel. Civil war between Benjamin and the other tribes because of Benjamin's defense of the men of Gibeah, who at that time were men of Belial. And in Judges 20, we read about the army of the children of Benjamin, 26,000 men. And Judges 20 and verse 16 tells us that among that army of 26,000 were 700 chosen men, left-handed. Everyone, listen to this, I can't even imagine this. Everyone could sling stones at an hairbreadth and not miss. Some of us can't afford to pull one out. But if you can afford to pull one out, pull it out and look at it. Remember, this book does not exaggerate. And so here are these men of Benjamin left-handed who could sling stones at a an hair and not miss. In First Chronicles 12, we read about the men who came to David when he was avoiding... Uh, being captured by Saul, men who were among the mighty men, helpers of the war, and the first men who are mentioned were from the tribe of Benjamin and we're told that they were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left. They were ambidextrous, I think is the term. They could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow. And so these are fulfillments of Jacob's words here in in Genesis 49, describing Benjamin as a warlike tribe, a tribe of warriors, men who were expert killers, if you will, just like the wolf. We mentioned King Saul a minute ago, the first king of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, he was a warrior. In 1 Samuel 14 and verse 47, we read Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab and against the children of Ammon and against Edom and against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. And whithersoever he turned himself, he vexed them. Saul of the tribe of Benjamin was a warrior. There are others from the tribe of Benjamin that God used as warriors not on the battlefield but in the palace to deliver the nation of Israel. We read about Mordecai and Esther of the tribe of Benjamin. But for a few minutes I want us to look at the last part of Israel's words to his son. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoil. I want us to think about those words as they apply to another member of the tribe of Benjamin. Perhaps the the most famous member of that tribe. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, the apostle Paul said, For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. In Philippians 3 and verse 5, Paul tells us that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul was very proud of the fact that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And it's worth noting, as others have pointed out, how Israel's words to Benjamin are very, um, they're, they're fulfilled in the life of the Apostle Paul, Saul, in a very interesting way. In the morning of his life, Paul ravened as a wolf. In the morning of his life, Paul devoured the prey. We just mentioned Philippians 3 and verse 5. In verse 6 of that chapter, right after he tells us that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, he tells us that his zeal was persecuting the church. And in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, we read about Paul's zeal in persecuting the church. It says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 We read, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Here is Saul, this man from the tribe of Benjamin. And in his life we see the the fulfillment of Jacob's words. In the morning of his life, Saul ravened as a wolf. He tore in pieces and rent and made havoc of the church. In the morning of his life, he devoured the prey. He went into every house, and the prey was men and women who were standing and teaching and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took them and he committed them to prison. He breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to Damascus to bring Christians, whoever they were, men or women, bound unto Jerusalem. That was in the morning of his life. But in the evening of his life, all those things that he counted as gain in the morning of his life, he counted as loss for Christ. In the evening of his life... Paul counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He counted the loss of all things but dung that he might win Christ. What happened? What happened between the morning of his life and the evening, the night in his life? Well, I'll tell you when it happened. It happened at noon. It happened at midday. That's what That's the testimony that he gave to King Agrippa. At midday, at noon, he was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. That was the dividing point. That was the moment of decision in the life of Saul. Noon, midday, between morning and night. Kind of where we are this morning. We're at that point of decision. If you're lost today. It's noon. It's midday. It's this time between morning and night. It's this time when God has brought you here. To confront you with the message of salvation. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to raven as a wolf? Are you going to... Uh, devour the prey? Are you going to go on in your own way and devour your own life in the lust and the desires of your flesh? Noon, midday. That's when Saul met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And it was a dividing point in his life. It can be the dividing point in your life this morning. And in the night, after afternoon of his life, he divided the spoil. And what was the spoil? He divided the spoil of the cross of Calvary to the Gentiles. And what is that spoil? It's the preaching of the cross. It's the message of the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We see this um, fulfillment of the prophecy of Israel here to Benjamin in the life of the Apostle Paul. But I believe that we see more than the Apostle Paul in the words of this 27th verse. Turn back a few pages to um, Genesis chapter 35, if you will. Genesis chapter 35. Let's read it, verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. This last son of Jacob was given two names. His mother, Rachel, named him Benoni. That name means son of my sorrow, son of my sorrow. Jacob named him Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand. Both of these names in Israel's prophecy there in chapter 49 and verse 27 concerning Benjamin. Both of the meanings of these uh, these names point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they fit perfectly into this 27th verse. Uh, Of uh, Genesis chapter 49. Let's go back there. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey. I think that beside those words you can write Benoni, son of my sorrow. Because in the morning on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who Isaiah identifies as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, On the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus devoured the prey. He bruised the head of the serpent as it was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Through death, as Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, through death the Lord Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. He devoured the prey. Satan is a defeated foe. The Lord Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. We read, I believe, in the book of Colossians. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in his cross. And so he devoured the prey. But there's more to that. Because on the cross, the Lord Jesus dealt with our sin. He took our sin upon himself. He was made sin for us. And God's judgment against our sin was poured out upon him. He devoured the prey. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the morning, he shall devour the prey. That's Benoni, son of my sorrow. But the last part of verse 27 says, And at night he shall divide the spoil. I think beside those words you can write Benjamin. Son of my right hand. Because the Lord Jesus was the son of my sorrow. Because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Because in the morning he devoured the prey by humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. At night he shall divide the spoil. God also hath highly exalted him. He's the son of God's right hand. And I'll tell you something that's worth noting. The Lord Jesus rose from the dead in the evening. He rose from the dead in the evening. He rose from the dead after 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And God, that's when, that's when um, the spoil is divided. And God set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And in the night, and folks, it's the night of the day of grace. The Lord's return is near. I was thinking this week there was uh, a, a big loss of cell service in several major cities in this country. Now, I haven't heard what the problem was, but I'll tell you something, folks. China has a very, very effective cyber attack system. And I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be something if um, they launched a cyber attack against the power grid? Okay, we have no power. We have no, uh, they launched it against our cell phones and communications. We, we, you know, think about that. It'll be night in this country. And I was thinking, okay, this is far out, I guess, but I'll give it to you anyway. Wouldn't that be a great time for the Lord to come and take us out of this world? And then when the, when the power came back on, somebody would stand up and say, it was them Christians that did it. We told you all along that they were the problem, and now they're gone. See, the power's back on. The phones are working. That's my far out thought for today. (laughs) But listen, it is the night season, it's the night of the day of grace, and the Lord's about to come. We're about to hear the trump of God. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But in this night season, the Lord Jesus is dividing the spoil of his victory on the cross of Calvary. And what is that? It's eternal life. It's eternal life to all that will Turn to him in repentance and faith. The Lord Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Forevermore. And he, when we trust him as our Savior, and he gives us that life, we're alive forevermore. What a spoil of, of victory of the cross of Calvary. But that's not the end of the dividing of the spoil the eternal life that we have now, beloved, now are we the sons of God. We have eternal life. We, 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 we receive the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls now. But that's not the end of his dividing of the spoil. Colossians 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness Toward us through Christ Jesus. I believe we can see him in Israel's words to Benjamin. The Lord Jesus is Rachel's Ben-Oni, the son of my sorrow. In the morning, he devoured the prey. He's Jacob's Benjamin, son of my right hand. At night, he shall divide the spoil. The question this morning is, do you know him? Which way have you turned at midday when the light of the gospel, when the light of the message of the glorious gospel of Christ in the face of Jesus Christ has shined upon you? Where have you turned? Where have you turned? One of the things that we've been thinking about this morning, or at least we began by thinking about it, is blood being thicker than the book about blood being thicker than the word of God. And as we look at Israel's words to his sons, we see that Israel's relationship with his sons was not thicker than the word of God. We see the same thing as we think about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Blood was not thicker than the word in their relationship. The word of God says that the wages of sin is death. It says that without shedding of blood is no remission. And so the only blood that has the power to pay the price for our sin, the only blood that has the power to remit the penalty of sin, the only blood that has the power to forgive sins and to take them away as though they never happened is the blood of God. That means that there was only one. There was only one who could come into this world and die for our sins. And some of the most glorious words in this book we studied in the book of Galatians. When the fullness of the time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them. That were under the law. When the fullness of the time was come, God demonstrated that His Word was thicker than blood. He spared not His own Son, He sent Him forth and delivered Him up for us all that He might redeem us to God. He did that for you so that He might divide with you the spoil of eternal life. This morning you can have that life. You can trust Him as your Savior right where you are. You can humble your heart and take God's side against yourself and repent of your sin and trust Him to be your Savior. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this little verse here in Genesis chapter 49. These 22 words. That Israel spoke to his son Benjamin that contained the message of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak to any who are lost today. It's midday, the light of the gospel is shining. Which way are they going to turn? We pray that you would help them to turn right now, right where they are, in repentance. And faith and trust you as their Savior. Father, we pray if we know you today that we would rejoice in our Savior and the so great salvation that He's provided. We thank you for every remembrance of Him and His person and His work for us on the cross of Calvary. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.